Welcome back to another episode of the Transform Your Life podcast. I'm Angela Hauk, founder of the international online coaching business, Team Ange. I'm an expert in building muscle and losing fat, a natural figure and fitness pro athlete with the UFE, and a lover of everything personal development. I'm a mom, a businesswoman. Most days, I just feel like a hot mess trying to keep it all together. I spent the first two decades of my life overweight, tired, hating vegetables, and living off Pepsi. I got sick and tired of feeling tired every day and decided to transform my life. This fitness and nutrition podcast is dedicated to educating and empowering listeners on all things training, nutrition, and personal development. I'm on a mission to help you improve your body, achieve your goals, live a confident and fulfilled life stepping into your full potential. So let's help you transform physically and mentally to a person that's been hiding underneath all along. Let's do it. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome back to another episode. Today, I had an opportunity to chat with Sarah Jamison. And the really cool part is we talked about a topic that is near and dear to my heart, and that is pelvic floor health and the recovery after we have a baby. So Sarah's specialty is really in mobility and injury prevention, but she's also a new mom. And so she talks about her experience and just some of the things that she's personally going through and how she helps other people with pelvic floor health and really just being able to move optimally. So Sarah spent 17 years as a competitive marathon runner using the power of her sport to raise nearly $2 million for over 57 organizations worldwide through her community initiative, Run for a Cause. Sarah is the owner of Movolution, a Vancouver-based coaching and consulting company which provides industry-leading tools and education in movement, restoration, and preventative health care. Their programs and systems complement the clinical and performance fields by using evidence-based corrective exercise cognitive science and access to essential services to prevent injury and enhance your quality of life. Sarah is also the creator of Daily Durability, which provides daily movement and a systematic approach to maintain and improve joint and tissue health. So today's conversation talks about what it takes to move well, what is durability, how chronic pain is plaguing a lot of people and how you really can set yourself up for success so that you don't have to live a lifetime of of suffering essentially. So let's get into it. My conversation with Sarah Jameson of Movolution. Welcome to the podcast. Let's just kick things off with an introduction. Who in the world are you, Sarah? And what is it that you do? Yeah, of course. Uh, So I hail from Vancouver, BC, Canada. Uh, I'm a movement coach, which I like to use as a a fancy term for a strength conditioning coach that uh, bridges the gaps between injury prevention, uh, performance, and daily movement. And so my company, Movolution, is based out of Vancouver, and I provide coaching and consulting services. Uh, I do online training. I do in-person training. Put that on hiatus for a little bit because I just popped out a tiny human uh, 11 and a half months ago. He turns one on Saturday this week. So it's, uh, it's been a wild ride. And so I work with uh, a big gambit of, of different clients, postpartum clients, uh, chronic pain patients, post-op athletes, coaches and trainers. And it's really the niche of uh, bridging the gaps between, uh, between clinical intervention, daily kind of pain-free management and daily movement and performance. Oh, there's so much in there that I want to unpack. So yeah. first of all, babies, 
question. Let's let's start there. So I think you said your son, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Little boy. Okay. It is going to get very fun. I have a boy too, and he's going to be three in December. And there's something about the boy energy. They are a wild child. <laughs> so much energy. Oh, they are. Oh, they are. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, that is awesome. Yeah. And he's uh, so he's a big baby. He's just they're over thirty pounds. And oh he, wow. Uh, is oh yeah. He was eight three when he was born. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, he is just, he's like strong man, circa 2035, hands down. Uh-huh. He's a big boy. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, let's first unpack then this whole postpartum journey for you. Cause I think it's just, it's so common. So many things happen throughout pregnancy. We pop out the baby and then there's some things that have happened within the body. And I just want to kind of start right there. So you have the child, where is a woman's body left after the child has come out? hundred percent. And it's, so this is a, this is a great topic of conversation because it's a huge passion for me. Um, I did everything that I could to prepare for birth and to prepare for the postpartum timeframe and you're never prepared. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, biology is absolutely amazing. We're able to pop these little humans out and then our body magically creates that space and then it magically kind of goes back. But for me, my postpartum period was very, very challenging. I had rectal prolapse, so organ prolapse. Yeah. Um, I did 46 hours of, of natural labor, uh, 32 of which was at home as a water birth because I wanted to go granola, primal, like, let's do this. I'm a woman. And then hospital transfers. I'm like, and I'm going to pull the red card. And mm. next 15 hours, I'm going to push. Mm-hmm. Still managed to deliver naturally. Um, but it was a very, very challenging time for me. I didn't leave the house for four weeks. My body really has taken an entire year to really start to get back on track. And there's still, I'm still dealing with uh, the organ prolapse. It's an ongoing management because I also like to lift. So I have to be really careful with, you know, making sure I'm in alignment. I breathe efficiently. The timing is there and all of that. But it's challenging. And it's physically, mentally, emotionally everything. It is such a shift in transformation for a woman to go through, to move from a place of being an independent woman, then carrying this beautiful baby and nurturing this, this, you know, this, this tiny little human. And then all of a sudden your body changes and you're never going to have the body that you, that you once had. And that's okay. Because that transformation has created such a beauty within itself, but it's a mind shift. It's a hard mind shift to wrap your head around Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Are you currently working with somebody in the pelvic floor physiotherapy space or yeah? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a phenomenal uh, pelvic physiotherapist, um, uh, Diane Lee and Associates out of here in Vancouver and White Rock. And they're, they're, they're hands down the best of what they do in our area. Uh, they use ultrasound throughout my tri- uh, three trimesters so that we could see where my pelvic floor activation was. And for me, I was overactive. So I had to really focus on releasing my pelvic floor so that I could create the space for this beautiful little dude uh, mm-hmm. to uh, exit the body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and ongoing wise, it's been phenomenal. Um, and I, I mean, I have a pretty extensive background in pre and postnatal, but it's very different when you go through yourself and you learn through experience. Mm-hmm. 
it's so, so common. Nobody talks about it. And I don't think women really understand the importance of pelvic floor physiotherapy. So let's just talk about the common things that can happen. So what are some of the things that you see with women in terms of maybe symptoms or things that they might be going through that they don't even really, they just think, oh, everybody goes through that. So then they just kind of brush it underneath the rug. Yeah. And it's because it, it's biology. We are, we are designed to procreate and to have babies. So we don't question the experience and the transition. We just, we just do the do. Um, it's interesting because I work with a lot of women that are 55, 65 who have had multiple pregnancies, never once considered um, organ prolapse as a potential issue for their hip pain or back pain now later on, even though their babies have grown up and left the nest. Um, I work with women that are straight out of postnatal and some women have never seen a pelvic physiotherapist. So they don't know where they were when they were, you know, creating this baby, this human. But the big common considerations are low back issues, neck and shoulder pain, um, obviously like pain with sex, returning Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. the good old, how you made the do. Um, and these are some of the common things that, oh, I just need to work through it. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We need to actually take a step back and really look at how was your pregnancy? How was, how was your birthing time? Mm-hmm. How was the co-regulation? Um, how long has it been um, since, uh, since you've had your baby? Because, you know, we're told six weeks. And we're told six weeks, you know, for C-section or vaginal birth. But it requires a long time. I mean, ligaments take 280 days to heal approximately. Mm-hmm. Like postpartum, that first year is so critical. But I think as active women is we really want to get back into training and moving and, and, and whatever it is that we want to do. But we need to make sure that we're really listening to our body and honoring where our body is at. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And not to mention like all of the women who are peeing their pants and just thinking, oh, oh, we all just pee our pants. And there's almost like this. You see the uh, commercials with the special underwear and it's like, oh, it's fine. Just wear these special underwear for the rest of your life. And like, it does not need to be that way. And I don't think women, they don't realize it. They just think like, oh, yeah, we all just wear these underwear and they go through their life, unfortunately, having to deal with that and they don't have to. Well, a hundred percent. And especially as we get older, like in my 50s, 60s, 70s, I don't want to be peeing my pants. Mm-hmm. And some women don't realize like they go through the postpartum period. They have a little bit of that incontinence and then it gets a little bit better. But then when you enter into the next transition of your life, now all of a sudden, you know, well, I have to run to the bathroom four times in my training session with you. No, you don't. Mm-hmm. We just actually have to address maybe some of the other concerns that you just, you, you didn't have the same type of education and information back then. So what's amazing is with the older population that I work with is these women are, are starting to be empowered to take back ownership over their health and take back some of their ownership of their pelvic floor again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So where do they start then, Sarah? They've got these issues. They've got these, these things that are going on. Perhaps they're not moving optimally. Perhaps they are having pain or, or feeling those, um, those symptoms. Where do they begin on their healing journey? Well, a lot of the times, um, so it's kind of twofold is lifestyle is a big consideration. So movement and training is, is one piece of the pie. 
but we have to really divide it into two pieces, which is health and fitness, because health and fitness are two different things. Health is being free of injury and free of illness, and being able to uh, have the prerequisites to move into fitness type activities. And so when when a, a woman comes to me and is like, I'm, I'm dealing with some of these things, especially if they've even seen a pelvic physiotherapist, it's great because I can have a, a better indication of what they're going through. But what we want to first start looking at is some of the, the basic fundamentals. What does your lifestyle look like? What do your stressors look like? Because corrective exercise is 80% lifestyle. That mental shift in you're going to have to also do this work daily. You're going to have to make time for it. We start with breathing because breathing fundamentally is such a great uh, way to tap into the, the, the pelvic, the spinal stabilizers. Just really getting into basic, basic movements and basic setting up of the frame of the cylinder and the, and the pelvic floor. So that's first and foremost is where I start is really with the breath work and connecting more internally to their body. And then it's really looking at uh, different exercises that would be specific to them based on their lifestyle and, and, and where they're at uh, in, in their movement. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, do you find that there are certain musculatures, like certain parts of the body that tend to just be tighter or less mobile after you've had a child? Oh, yeah. hundred percent. Mm-hmm. Um, lower back. Yeah. tends to be one area that gets, you know, super jammed up. And I mean, if we think about, I mean, you, it's not like you get recovery and then you get your baby. It's like, I now have my baby. I'm breastfeeding every two hours or more. Right. Mm-hmm. So are you setting that up optimally? We want to look at our baby. So we're continually looking down, rounding up the shoulders. So from the very moment that, that we, we have this beautiful baby earth side, we're now setting our bodies up to have some postural issues without even really considering Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, the lower back areas. Yeah. And, the, and, and then you start to see things like the mom bomb and that's just like the pelvis rotated forward. You're resting your baby on your hip or you're getting some, like you're, you're essentially compensating and coming up with these compensation patterns just because you're, you're dealing with mommy life and bending down even to pick up the car seat and all those sorts of things. Like it makes sense that we have all of these issues, but we never really connect the dots with, okay, this is what, what is causing it. So what are ways in which we can optimize our movement patterns throughout the day to ensure that we're not making things worse, Sarah, as moms? Great question. Um, I'm a firm believer in self-care. You have to, from the get-go, create some form of self-care for yourself uh, because it can be very challenging. It can also be a mental shift because we feel guilty. We've got this new baby and I want to give it all my time. But creating uh, subtle movement, gentle movement, progressive movement that's really focused on targeting some of those areas right away. So posterior engagement. Um, I'm a big fan of like scapular work. Um, I'm a big fan of something I call daily durability, which is joint, joint mobility, joint movement. Even something small as five to seven minutes of really opening up, um, creating circulation, oxidation through those joint complexes. So spine, hips, shoulders, uh, getting up and walking around as well is hugely beneficial because you need to saturate those tissues with as much, as much fluid, as much blood, as much nutrients as you can because you're going to be stuck in this position all day long, every two hours, all like for a 24 hour period, especially in the very beginning. I think as women is, uh, especially for me too, is that we, uh, I didn't feel like moving around that much. I mean, I couldn't feel anything south of the border for like four or five days. And then you start to get a little bit of that feeling back. 
So it can be hard to really kind of get into that groove early, but the earlier that you can do that, the earlier you can get into just some gentle joint mobility is hugely beneficial. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, what about things that may make it worse? I think sometimes, especially if you were active prior to, or maybe you just have this enthusiasm and you're like, I just want to get my body back or whatever. And women, we can do things that can be very damaging and make things worse. So let's talk a little bit about that. What are the things that you see that women are doing that are just making the problems worse? 100%. Uh, one of the biggest ones is getting back into exercise too early. So mm -hmm. we're given, we're given, if we back engineer, we're given this six week time frame. So every woman that, uh, that I've worked with has been like at the six week mark, literally six week day one. Hey, I got to go ahead for my doctor. I'm ready to, to get back to the training. But are you really? Let's mm -hmm. really actually look at where your body is at, uh, where your symptoms are at. And then also how traumatic was your labor? Because labor is trauma. It is negative. It's, it's traumatic. So we really have to look at where the body is at first and foremost. So from an, um, I always like to make sure that I assess somebody, even in that six week component, if I feel that they're not ready, then we have to take a step back. But women are ready to get back into active living right away. And a lot of the times they get back into their usual routine. Mm -hmm. So if I CrossFit, I'm going to go straight and CrossFit again. And I'm just going to scale it back. You know, I'm going to scale it back. I might do less weight, blah, blah, blah. You're still loading the body. You have, you need to take the time in order to really start to build from that foundation, realize that you are now entering into a transitional period where you are not your same self. Mm -hmm. Your body is not the same anymore. It's actually new. So we need to look at it from that framework. So picking something up too heavy, um, rotating while you pick something up, your organs are still trying to find their place again. Your mm -hmm. uterus is still shrinking down to where it was before. So any type of major load, even something over and above, you know, 20, 30 pounds, I mean, you have to pick your baby up as well, but that your baby doesn't start off though, like 20 or 30 pounds either. Right. So it's like, yes, yes. And a half to 10. Mm -hmm. no, my, my husband was 11 pounds before he was born. He was a big baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, but his uh, mother is like six foot. So we have to realize that what we were doing previously needs to shift. Mm -hmm. We also need to honor where our body is at. So picking up things too heavy right away, adding too much load, getting into even low plyometric work, mm -hmm. I see women get into this right away, um, is a no-no. Mm -hmm. Let's build back up. Mm -hmm. Let's mm -hmm. really focus on building from the ground up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the high impact stuff and even the like crunching type of movements yeah. that are just not, yeah, they're your, your body cannot do that. And, and essentially I'm sure you see a lot of this in your practice is women come and they, they essentially have separation in their abdominals and, and they're trying to do all these crunches thinking it's going to make it or, or better. And it really just makes it worse to be honest. And, and yeah, more poochy and, and, and is, and it isn't improving. Um, yeah. Well, and the other thing too, is that, um, some women that don't have DRA can get functional DRA from doing just that. Yes. Like I didn't, I didn't have a lot of separation. However, my pelvic physio is like, you also have to be very careful because as you start to enter back into training, you can get functional DRA. So now mm. if we have, you can get a separation after, you know, doing some work like crunches, things that don't really acknowledge um, optimal tension and optimal mechanics of that cylinder of that core. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Amazing. 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 Well, thank you for sharing all of that information. I uh, want to shift gears a, a tiny bit into some of the work that you that you do with other populations as well. So I just want to start off with what does it mean to move well? Okay. So what, 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 what does that look like and how can we create that no matter our age? Yeah, of course. So moving well to me is, again, having the prerequisites for the health first model. So your body being free of major aches and pains and discomforts. Um, I have a lot of clients that come to me, can't put their socks on anymore. Oh, I just, you know, don't know when it happened, but I just can't touch my toes. Those are things that that tell me that you're not moving well. You're not moving enough in life. Um, What that also means is I base a lot of my training on neural development or developmental patterning as well. So if you can't move well on the ground and you can't move well in the sense of how we, how we developed as infants into adults, looking at how the human learns how to fire their core, how babies learn how to crawl, walk, lunge. Um, a lot of my work is, is based on that. So when it comes to a client, you know, moving well, it really comes down to optimal range of motion or adequate range of motion in all of the major joint complexes, tissue that, that has elasticity, that's pliable, that moves well, that doesn't get stick, sticky or gluey, um, restrictions, all of those things shouldn't be normal, but they mm-hmm. are in today's society. Aches and pains are normal and they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it's really about making sure a client can move well so that they can go and pick something up. Maybe that's picking up their grandchild. Maybe for an athlete, it's, it's picking up 350 pounds as a PR. Uh, whatever, whatever your goal is, those primary patterns need to be uh, effectively mobile in order for you to do the things you want to do in life. Because mm-hmm. it's about longevity. It's not always about the short-term gain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You mentioned there the rise of chronic pain. So you like people yeah. almost accepting like, of course, I'm getting old. Of course, I feel pain and, and almost this acceptance with it. So what are the causes of it becoming more popular, so to speak? What is it that we're doing in our life that is causing it? Well, I think statistically, it's, it's really interesting because, you know, 80% of the population now, um, what they say from a statistical standpoint is that uh, 80% of the population is going to have some type of lower back issue. We're also seeing the same rise in now shoulder injuries and shoulder issues. And I think a large part of that is contributed to uh, we're still in a sedentary lifestyle. We all sit um, for the most part for our jobs. We sit commuting. We sit for dinner time. Uh, we uh, commu- we have this texting thing now where the neck and the shoulders are in this non-optimal position. Um, in the digital age, we do a lot of punching over in general. So I think that's a major contributor. But the other thing, obesity is still one of the highest factors in North America. Yet we are also, we have unlimited options for activity. We are at a time where we have these unlimited options for activity, but obesity and sitting is still fundamentally one of the major key issues as to why people have chronic pain. Also highest amount of injuries mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. in regards to, uh, to all populations that injuries are happening tr- like non-traumatic injuries. So connective tissue uh, issues are happening more and more frequently as well. Mm-hmm. So a lot of clients that I, I work with are like, yeah, I got injured on a marathon. I got injured on a, uh, a CrossFit, um, uh, class, all of these things. CrossFit's great. But I think one of the things we're missing is we're taking recreational individuals, general population 
and they're working real hard and they're also playing really hard. Mm-hmm. So they're also under recovery. Mm-hmm. So it's a multi, multi-pronged conversation as to why are we seeing chronic pain uh, increasing in today's society. I think it's a combination of uh, having to sit, um, having to do a lot of work in, in, post, in postural positions that are non-optimal and then playing really hard and not recovering enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how do we minimize injuries then? Are there specific things that would be general across all populations, like in terms of trying to minimize injuries, or are there things that would be more specific depending on where you are in your life? Well, I think um, generally speaking, the biggest component is making time to do some form of movement a day. And by movement, I mean uh, like joint mobility and really focusing on making sure your joints move well. Uh, Also screening. So establishing the baseline. If you're really focused on screening how your body moves uh, monthly, quarterly, the body is going to be fundamentally acknowledging where those restrictions are on a daily basis. So one of the things that uh, that I really like to provide my clients is, is, again, something called daily durability. And we use daily durability as a way to warm your body up before you work out. You can warm your body up before you start your day. But what you're also doing is you're screening the body. So you're going through every major joint complex looking for restrictions and challenges just so that you can know if you need to modify what you're going to do throughout the day. Because if we did that, then if somebody's going into um, going out for a run, then they know where their body's at prior to doing that. If somebody's going to go to a CrossFit class, oh, you know, my shoulder was a little bit sore this morning, probably don't want to go into an overhead pressing position. You can work around it, but you want to modify what you're doing for your day or for your training. If we're talking about minimizing risk, then we need to make sure that we're looking at how the body moves first and foremost and really having that deeper conversation with ourselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's run through the major uh, joints that you're essentially talking about when you're talking about Mm. the durability. So just run through the ones that you'd be warming up or the ones that people can scan for. Yeah, of course. So every joint has a function, which means it also has a predictable risk. So when I like to go top to bottom, so we look at the neck, we look at the shoulders. Uh, That means, you know, looking at the shoulder joint itself, we look at the spine. So thoracic spine, we look at lumbar spine, we look at the hips and then we go uh, out from there. So we look at elbows, hands, and wrists, and we also look at uh, knees and ankles and feet. So even within a 10-minute time frame, you can go through every one of those joint complexes to look for areas that may be restricted or that you may have asymmetry or pain in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cool. So let's say we're scanning the body. We determine that our ankles are, are something that isn't moving all that well. What do we do? Move them more. That's mm-hmm. one of the biggest fundamentals. Uh, there's lots of ways that you can do that. You can work uh, different types of exercises. Um, that's something that if we have something that comes up, then you want to acknowledge that. So if I have ankles that are tight and I go to do a workout or if I'm going to be sitting for long periods of time, then I know that that's going to have a reaction to my hips because my hips aren't going to move well if my ankles are, are, are lacking mobility. So first and foremost, mobility needs to be uh, first and then you can kind of start moving up the chain of command to stability or strength. Um, but in all honesty, the simplest answer is just move it more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I imagine that you probably have some videos or some resources online that people could check out if they're listening to the podcast. So would you be able to share those as well? Yeah, of course. Yeah. And so one of the, uh, I've got a, a library of tons of different videos that are all public off of Vimeo. 
And you can just find that through Movolution on Vimeo. Awesome. And we'll be sure to put that into the show notes. Now, I know another area that you work in is stress. So let's talk about positive sources of stress and then some negative ones as well. Of course. All right. So positive stress first. Positive stress, training, one of the biggest exercise. That's one of the biggest positive stressors. Mm -hmm. Stress, positive, negative, your brain, your body don't recognize the difference, right? It's just Mm -hmm. looking for regulation. So training is one of those. Uh, Being a mom, like being on all the time is a stressor Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Activities with friends. Mm -hmm. All of those things are stressors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What about the negative stuff? Yeah. So too long working. So if you, uh, even if you love your job, sitting for eight to 12 hours a day, whatever it is that you do can be a stressor on the body. Um, poor sleep can be a stressor on the body. Uh, not eating optimally or having uh, food intolerances can be a stressor, which causes inflammation. That's a stressor. Um, all of those things, alcohol, caffeine, any type of vices or stressors, those are all negative. Um, training when you're under recovered or not feeling well. That's a stressor as well. And Mm -hmm. to me, that's a negative stressor. Mm -hmm. How do we find the balance or the optimal amount amount of stress to kind of make sure that we aren't training too much, but not training too little? Where is that sweet spot? It's a good question. I think that sweet spot is going to be different for every individual because it depends on what their threshold is, right? It also depends on their relationship uh, to stress. Um, but if we're generally speaking, uh, I'm a big fan of if I wake up in the morning and I feel achy and I'm tired and I'm exhausted, that tells me that I need to change something. So if I'm going to go and do some form of training, I need to monitor what that training is going to be like. I'm a big fan of, of monitoring and measuring as well. So I use uh, heart rate variability in order to check where my recovery and where my, my state of readiness is, um, because sometimes I feel like I'm ready to go. And my body isn't, my brain might be, but my body isn't. So that sweet spot is really understanding that you need to have a lot. You need to have recovery into your weeks and into your days and into your workouts, just as much as you train and recovery can mean something very different to uh, different people that could be uh, doing, uh, taking more time management for mobility uh, for your tissues and joints. It might be more passive. So that might be floating. It might be a massage, uh, it totally depends on the individual and what it is that they need. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And how will you know if you went over too much? Like, what would, what would be some of the symptoms or signs that people might be able to say, "Okay, I think I think I'm past that threshold because I'm yeah. experiencing this." Yeah, I think the uh, so the biggest indicator is super simple. You just feel like crap. Mm-hmm. Your body is sore. So if your body is super sore and you're moving into a workout. Um, you're probably not recovered enough, right? Mm -hmm. So if your muscles and your tissues and your joints hurt, that's an indication that something is not right. Irritability, Mm -hmm. fatigue, all of those things um, tell you that you're not recovering well in some capacity of your life, Mm -hmm. right? You're feeling depressed. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't like to use that word, but, you know, whatever we want to call it, you're just feeling low and slow. Mm -hmm. That to me is your body and your brain telling you that, hey, something needs to change. Mm -hmm. Right. Because Mm -hmm. if you wake up with an injury, that means you weren't listening to all of that biofeedback prior. Mm -hmm. All those little kind of whispers and signals leading up to it for sure. Yeah. Because pain's not usually the problem. It's just 
it's a major symptom of what we haven't acknowledged. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we need pain to tell us. Like it's a signal that is very, very important. Um, Absolutely. Now, I'm sure there's some people that are listening and they are thinking, you know what, this is all great, but I just, I don't have time or I only have a limited amount of time and I'm busy, 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 busy. So for those busy listeners, they only got a little bit of time each day. How do they maximize that amount of time to ensure that they're still getting the benefits of mobility? So I'm a big fan of stacking things or doubling down on things. And what I mean by that is uh, movement is key. So movement is one of the major influencers to regulating stress. We move better, uh, sorry, we move and we, and we feel better. Uh, breathing is also fundamentally important because it, again, regulates our nervous system and our stress response. Um, those two things we're going to stack. And so I'm a big fan of using breath and daily uh, durability, joint mobility, standing movement for less than 15 minutes. If you have five minutes, do five minutes. If you have 10 minutes, do 10 minutes. If you have 15, great. We're going to do 15 minutes and you're going to move through every major joint complex. You're going to focus on, on your breath work. That's it. So when, uh, when we think about commitment and dedication, people that don't have time and that's a barrier, then we have to figure out how much time do you have? So if you have seven and a half minutes when you're waiting for the kettle for your coffee to brew, awesome. I want you to do seven and a half minutes of daily durability. I want you, I want you to start from the head, work your way down and you're going to go through uh, each one of those movements, a lot of the stuff that I provide is follow along as well. So I just keep it super simple, big fan of simple, but if you can stack certain things like breath and movement together, then you're doubling down. You're getting more reward for that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And I, yeah, uh, I think all of that is on your website too. If people are interested in, in learning more and signing up, right? Yeah. 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 And the other thing too, is like with working, um, I like to do something called movement snacks. So when someone works, uh, and they're working for 18 hours, what I try to, to offer them is, hey, set a timer for every 90 minutes or two, uh, two hours. I want you to stand up. I want you to do two movements for two minutes only. So do one movement for one minute, second one, whatever. And again, it's, it's prescripted for whatever they need, but do two minutes of movement, break it up throughout the day, because all of that is going to add up towards the end of the week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, what, what does your daily schedule look like now that you're a mom? Cause I imagine that pre-mommy days, the schedule, you could kind of, I don't know, go about doing your thing, but now mommy life. So run me through what, what a typical day would look like, including the things that you would do associated with your health and movement throughout the day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So my life is, definitely different than, uh, than previously. Um, it is, I'm, I'm go, go, go all the time, full-time mom, full-time business owner. So we wake up and, uh, Leo and I get up together and he actually does, uh, some of the movement with me in the sense of he is pulling on my hair. He's crawling on me. Uh, I do a ground-based, um, practice, which is five to six minutes. Um, and that's, I just intuitively let my body kind of go through what I feel it needs on that, in that particular day while I'm playing with him. So mm-hmm. that can extend to five minutes over the course of two hours that I'm, I'm up in the morning with him. Uh, and that's just honoring kind of like I get myself care in, but it's honoring that playtime with him as well. So we go through that. And then um, basically I get to work, both my husband and I work from home. So he gives me a little bit of time to do, uh, to do some of my, my work stuff. I will usually end up going into my garage gym because we converted my garage to the gym. Again, that makes it way easier for me to get my workouts in. 
Mm-hmm. And those workouts are usually going back and forth between the house and back during my rest periods. So my movement is all throughout the day. Um, a couple times a week, I will be able to go in there and do a 40 minute workout, swing some bells and some really weird unconventional training tools. Um, but for the most part, I'm going back and forth and just fitting it in whenever I can. I like the deadlift. I like to carry, um, most of my movement again is throughout the day. And then at the end of the day, I get to have a little bit of time to myself and I take at least five to 10 minutes to do some mindfulness work which is my own breath work. I work on uh, making sure I decompress my body uh, before I go to sleep with my son. Um, that's the best way I can describe it because every day is totally different. Mm-hmm. I get something in, I get the bookends, I get a little bit of movement on either side. I make sure that that's in there. Uh, but throughout the rest of the day, it's like I might get my workout in or I might not. And I'm mm-hmm. okay with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, as long as I'm progressing those goals and working on that strength throughout the week, I'm a happy camper. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's the first year, man. I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, now I know you have a competitive background. Uh, I read that you did marathon. So is running something that you still do or plan to do again in the future? Or have you retired the retired from that? I've pretty much retired from that. It's um, so running was uh, I started when I was 18 and it was a, a time for me to really kind of like ask myself the big questions uh, of what I want to do in the world. I was never great at sports growing up. I was, uh, I was always short and I always wanted to play the tall sports like basketball, volleyball, high jump just wasn't for me. Um, and so marathon running was just such a, a, a great way for me to stay fit and to really just figure out where my physical capacity was. My body, however, is, had broken down from so much of that running. So mm-hmm. as a coach, I think it's really important to, uh, like honor where, where we came from. And there was a time when I did not practice what I preached. Um, I thought I did cause I thought I did everything right, but in essence, I really didn't cause there was a time where my body broke down and it was about 2012 where I hit high stage adrenal fatigue, emergency surgery. I had to have an, um, my appendix taken out because literally my body was just not responding well to anything. So I chose to retire from running, not just based on that, but because I had reached a a very large goal in my life, a 10 year old to raise $2 million. And I did. And that was, that was it. I was like, this is a transition of my life. I now wanted to move into something else, which is now powerlifting, which is on hold at the moment. But running for me was such a huge part of my life, but it was also a time for me to really just kind of be like, yeah, that was great. Now what's next for Sarah Jamison? What's next for Mm -hmm. the physical component? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. But you plan to go back to powerlifting as long as your recovery goes okay? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I'm I'm super pumped for that. And you know, over the past uh two months, um, my strength has definitely started to come back up. And it's really nice because it's I think as 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 a mom, you know, because you're working with this new body, is you're you're having to actually redefine what strength means. Um, what your physical capacity means in your relationship to that. And so it's been a really cool experience to start to work back into that. And I'm a firm believer in having coaches. So I've got a great coach that I'm working with as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, we need coaches. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So you've talked a little bit about kind of the personal goals. What about the professional goals and the things that you're working towards with your business? Yeah. Uh, professionally it's, it's been a challenge, you know, uh, as, as someone who's self-employed, uh, we don't get maternity leave. Mm-hmm. So 
you know, I chose to be like, oh, I'm going to be great. Three months, I'll be back in the saddle. Nope, six months, I'll be back in the saddle. Um, and so it's actually been a really interesting transformation for my business itself. As someone who has had a very uh, heavy private practice in Vancouver, I've had to step away from that. Um, so I, I don't work with private clients as much as I did before so that I have the time to be with my son, um, which has shifted to an online focus. So most of my business now, 75% is now online. Um, I provide online coaching, online memberships. I've got a couple products for general population and for coaches and trainers, and I teach. It's been an interesting thing to back engineer of where do I want to be and financially, where do I want to be um, in, in regards to entering back into this industry? Because pregnant and preconception, I had to take a step back from a lot of stuff. A lot of work and, and obviously a lot of the training. We had three miscarriages beforehand. So from a fertility aspect, I had to really take a step back. So I had to take almost uh, basically a year and basically a year and nine months from backing off of my work, which is a big part of who I am in the world. It's not everything, but it, it, it is it, it's my passion. So now over the course of especially the last three months, I've been able to kind of step back into that role um, and really feel empowered to move forward with it. But it's a very, new evolution is very different than it was a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, four years ago. Um, I'm a very different trainer than I was 17 years ago as well. So mom life really, really makes you uh, think about who you are in the world and mm -hmm. who do I want to be for my son mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which is, you know, also shifting, uh, working with more pre and postnatal women because through my experience... I can see the gaps that our healthcare industry has and that our industry has um, for women as well. And I want to fill some of those. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's a couple things I want to unpack there. First being the miscarriage component. How do we, after going through that, how do we continue to remain hopeful in the future, um, especially after that happening to you multiple times, Sarah? Yeah. Um, it's miscarriage can be, can be very daunting. I think the first, first thing that I want to say is that a lot of women miscarry and don't know about it. It's a lot more prevalent than we talk about because we don't talk about it. Um, when a woman becomes pregnant, we, there's like this invisible law that we can't talk about it for three months. You have to wait until you get past 12 weeks to tell anybody. So as a woman, for me, I wanted to celebrate this life. And, uh, if that meant that I'd put it out there in the world and then I had to mourn it, which is inevitably what miscarriage is, is you celebrate this life and then you have to mourn the loss of it. I didn't want to do that by myself, especially after the first one, because I did, I stayed quiet after eight weeks, we lost the baby and it was very early, but it's still a life that I was nurturing. And after that first miscarriage, I was like, never again, am I not going to talk about it? Because for me, I know there's got to be other women out there. And so if I can connect with them, A, they don't know, they, they know that they're not alone, but I also recognize that I'm not alone in this. Mm -hmm. When we had the second miscarriage, then it becomes a question of, oh my God, am I a viable woman? Mm -hmm. Right? What, what, what is wrong with my womb? That I'm supposed to be able to do this. Um, and so that cycle of thinking can be really challenging. And it's something that we have to process and honor. I completely um, acknowledge that the negative emotions are just important as positive ones, right? 
So my way of thinking was, okay, how do I get my body ready for conception then? What are the other things that, that I could be doing removing some of the negatives? Um, maybe that's less training, but making sure that I'm still, you know, getting the movement in and, and getting what I need to get in, but not overdoing it, eating better, looking at that. There's, so for me, looking at the science aspect of it, of why maybe we weren't keeping the baby was something that I needed to go through because here's the thing about North America, and I'm not sure how it is in different states, but in Canada, right, we have to wait until we have three until we can be referred to a fertility clinic, unless we want to go privately and pay for it privately. Not a lot of people have the available funds to privately do all of the tests, mm-hmm. right? Um, I didn't want to wait to the third one. I didn't want to wait to three to be like, okay, so now what do I do? So um, I worked with an amazing uh, team, a naturopath that, that helped kind of do some of the, the testing, got ovarian reserve tested. I got all my blood work tested, my thyroid tested. Uh, I did some genetic testing for methylation in the MTHFR gene, which I have. Um, and so I made some serious changes to my diet and to my supplementation really early. And then we had uh, the third miscarriage, which unfortunately for me, I had in an airport uh, in Austin when I was down teaching at Onnit Academy and I had to pull out of teaching and fly home. And the morning of me flying home, I miscarried in the airport, which was super hard. So I had to take that tissue back with me. Mm-hmm. And um, it can be hard, but you can't give up hope. Mm-hmm. You can't give up hope mm-hmm. um, because that fundamentally, once you give up hope, there's no turning back. Mm-hmm. And for me, I was like, no, you know what? One in two women are going to miscarry. I'm sure every woman on this planet has probably miscarried. We just don't know. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Not all eggs are going to be viable. Not all sperm is going to be viable. It's not always about the woman mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. well. So I came home from that and my husband was like, what do we do? And I'm like, we're going to keep going. Yeah. We're do everything we can. Let's just keep trying. Um, I'm going to honor all of these lives, mm-hmm. you know, however long they're with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what we did. And literally within uh, the next cycle, uh, we conceived Leo naturally. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. without having to do any fertility. And it was just, when you're wanting to get pregnant, you're wanting to have a baby, you're checking all the things, right? Mm -hmm. You're checking the ovulation, you're, you're checking the, uh, the, the early digital pregnancy test super early. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's apparent when, when you want to have a baby, when you're not having a baby. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So throughout the pregnancy of your son, what did you do to ensure that you were taking care of yourself and really just optimizing? I would say there's obviously the the physical side, but also just the mental side of, of not losing sleep every single night, maybe being worried about, about what may happen. So how did you support yourself really well during that process, Sarah? Um, having a supportive partner is first and foremost was a huge, huge benefit to me. My husband's amazing. My family's amazing. For me, it was all about mindset and milestones. And so we talked about positive and negative stress is that positively I have this baby that I'm nurturing. Negative stress is like, I got to get to 12 weeks. I got to get to 21 weeks. I got to get to 27 weeks. Okay. After 27 weeks, it's going to be okay. Because if he's delivered early, you know, survival rates are high. Like for the whole nine months, it's really easy to get stuck into that, that cycle of purgatory of always just, Oh my God, Oh my God, Oh my God. So every morning I would wake up and I would do my work. I would spend time with my baby. Uh, I would talk to my uterus. Um, I would do my movement. I do my, uh, my pelvic physio exercises. And that was 
really my time of creating the intention of um, of nurturing this baby. There were some, you know, things that my naturopath had me do um, throughout the pregnancy, which also helped to offer um, support. You know, a couple things was was taking some endometrin as I was through that first uh, first trimester. Uh, I would do IV drips as well um, every couple of weeks just to top up my immune system. All these great things that that allowed me to to make sure that I was keeping my body regulated. I do prenatal chiro. I'd see my prenatal chiropractor um, to make sure that my my nervous system was was uh, functioning at a high capacity. Um, I did RMT. Right. I wanted to passively have someone nurture me and work on work on the mom bod that I was growing. So all of these things for me kind of uh, fit into pieces of the puzzle. Of I'm going to do some active stuff because I know that uh, statistically, the more you are active, the better your your body works and the less risk we have to miscarrying as well. Those statistics we can now see. And that is just daily moon, making sure that at least walk for 30 to 40 minutes a day. So I would go out. We had a, a chocolate lab at the time um, and we would go out for three walks a day. And I made sure that I did that with my morning and my evening practice of, of, of movement and mindfulness. Mm-hmm. And that made sure that I started and ended my days really focusing on my baby and my body. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 So and where, then, mm, I was just going to say, where along the lines did you know that you had the prolapse? Um, so actually not until after my birth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we, we, I pushed for a long time. Um, we, um, it was interesting. So my right side of my TVA wasn't very active. My left side was, my right side wasn't, uh, early into my second trimester. I had a little bit of separation as well, um, into my pubic synthesis. So I was dealing with a little bit of pain there, but my birthing period, because I chose to do a home water birth, uh, naturally is that for the first, um, uh, for the, you know, for the first 32 hours, 24 hours, my water broke and I waited And then we had at least 10 hours where literally contraction to contraction, there was no, for me, there was no, like what I'm supposed to be able to eat and sleep and get this reprieve that everybody talks about. Like, Oh, you have a contraction. You got 10, 20 minutes. Like I didn't have that. I went from Mm -hmm. zero to zero. I woke up and was like, Whoa, it is game on and minute to minute to minute. And he was pushing very early. Um, but he was, uh, sunny side up. So he was facing the wrong way, laterally driving left into my pelvis and I wasn't fully dilated. So for, you know, a good 10 hour stint at four and a half centimeters dilated, he just kept spontaneously wanting to come out and push. And I think that is, I mean, for me, that is, that, that would be one of the fundamental reasons as to why I probably had the prolapse. Now, part of that for my midwife team, they're like, you know, you probably had a little bit of that, but you know, you were doing all the right stuff, doing the ultrasounds, getting things checked, doing the movement, getting some, some treatment post um, partum or, or post recovery is I had two small tears. Um, and my pelvic physio found a prolapse at my six week, uh, uh, appointment. And so that's just something that I have to manage, but I'm not surprised. I mean, you're pushing a watermelon out of the side of a lemon. Mm-hmm. So, you know, things need to restructure and move around. Mm-hmm. And then no matter how that birthing time goes, it's really the question of what do you now do? How do you address it? And how do you manage it? 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just think there's you're giving so much hope to the listeners right now, Sarah, and the way that you're sharing your story and the way that you are, are sharing it from such a positive light and such an optimistic light. I think like the toughest part about all of these very challenging situations is the silent component that you mentioned earlier is that women, we think we need to be these tough rocks that like can't show any sort of weakness, so to speak, by showing our emotions, right? We feel as though we have to shield ourselves versus this is what is going on. Yes, it is challenging. Yes, I am going to cry. And yes, I am going to um, allow these emotions to escape my body, but it doesn't mean that I'm broken forever. It doesn't mean that like, this is my destiny. There's so much more hope in the future. And I love that you share it from that perspective. Thank you. Yeah. And it's true. I mean, it's women today, like we, we have vulnerability. Everybody on the planet, men, women are vulnerable at some point in time in their life. Um, we are also strong, courageous, And, um, I have dark days, you know, I, I did suffer from postpartum depression. Um, there are days where I don't want to get out of bed, but I also know that that's part of the process. It is a huge transformation for women to go through, um, having a baby. It's not just about having a baby, your entire life changes and it changes within seconds. Mm -hmm. There's, there's no co-regulation time just for the mom. Mm -hmm. Um, and what's interesting is Leo is going to turn one on Saturday and literally at 10 to 10 PM tonight was when my water would break last year. Mm-hmm. If we do a throwback Thursday. Yeah. And what's interesting is that the way that I like to look at it is that he is turning one, but it's also my birthday. Yes. I feel that there has been a rebirth of who I am and what I'm doing in the world. And just me as going from, uh, womanhood to motherhood mm-hmm. is such a huge opportunity to celebrate yourself, not just your baby that you've, that you've nurtured and created. It's both of you. Mm-hmm. It's a transformation that you've taken together. Mm-hmm. And I think if we looked at it that way, not just about one or the other, it would change our perspectives and the way that we look at, uh, at birth and mm-hmm. that transformation. Absolutely. 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 I love that perspective. And I think even just a celebration of our own damn strength for getting through that year, man, oh man, like anybody that says that motherhood is easy. I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. I think it's, I think it's the toughest thing I've ever had to do in my entire life. And I love that about it though. I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, but man, oh man, it, it is not easy. Yeah, no. And it's like, when you're going through it, you're like, is it supposed to be this hard? Yes. And then you look back and you're like, oh my God, this, I, this is an amazing thing. Like there's no manual. Yes. No manual. You, you learn as you go. And then you're like, oh my God, my kid is still alive. And so am I. This yes. is the most brilliant thing on the planet. And it's such a, it's such a cool thing to also look back and just be like, there's no right or wrong. Like you just got to do the do and you figure it as you go. And you, I mean, your baby teaches you so much, yes. so much about yourself and your capacity. Mm-hmm. Cause mm-hmm. he is, he is my greatest teacher. I, yeah. He's become my greatest teacher. Yeah. I say that all of the time. It's like 
we think that we're supposed to be their teachers. And I'm like, if I just stop and allow him to be the teacher every day, I live my life completely differently. He is excited by every freaking school bus. And it is the biggest deal that he saw a school bus. And he like, and even bulldozers and the fact that the lights changed. I'm like, I need this perspective sometimes. Sometimes when we're in that like hustle, businesswoman, boss, babe mode, we can be always chasing the next goal, always chasing like the next quarter, always so focused about like what is coming up that we can lose sight of what is going on right now around me in this moment. And I, I just absolutely love that perspective that that children can bring. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's made me slow down. Yes. And it's at the same time made me so much more productive because We, uh, one of the fundamental things is we, um, so we co-sleep and I'm a big fan of the bed Mm -hmm. here because it's worked for us and it's easy. He will not nap on his own yet. Um, we've tried sleep training, but I'm just shocked up. You know what? This is my time to be with my baby. So I'm going to nap with him Mm -hmm. for two hours, at least once. James is great because he, he naps with him as well. And it's our time to be with our baby and to also have a little bit of our own rest. Mm-hmm. And I had to wrap my head around that where I'm like, what do you mean you're not sleeping in a crib? What do you mean you're not? I, I can't put him down for his own nap. Like he has to nap by himself. No, he doesn't. It's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, he's getting love and cuddles from his mom and his dad. Mm-hmm. How awesome is that? And yeah. it's not going to last forever. Like it's one of those things that like you have these precious moments and these precious, precious years And screw what everybody else tells you. Like you will hear, oh, you got to do this and you got to do that. And it's like, you know what, woman, I got to do me and I got to do what we want to do. That is very great that that worked so well for you guys. But we are having a grand old time doing things our way over here. So, yeah, we we co-slept as well. And and, um, we got a lot of slack and a lot of people's opinions in relation to how it was the worst thing in the entire world, blah, 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 blah. And the interesting part to me about not only that decision, but all of your decisions as a mom is we have this intuition in our gut that we just need to trust and go with. And that's all that matters. That all, that's all that matters. If your gut is saying, this is the right decision for you guys right now, you just go with it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, fundamentally, you know, I was, I was in the very beginning, I was like, Oh, we have to do things this way because this is how it's always been done. Everybody has a nursery, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. When, when we conceive our sorry, when we, um, brought, uh, Leo home, like we were in a, like, we have a home now, but we were in a, a loft studio, one room mm-hmm. with a two adults, now a baby and a dog. Like mm-hmm. there was no nursery. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was, you know, it was like, this was our space. But even something as small as that, where I was like, he's just not going to do a crib. And he, he never did a bottle. I still breastfeed. And mm-hmm. I want to be able to do that for, for two years, however long possible. Mm-hmm. Not however long possible, because I don't want to be like nine. That's weird. But, um, you know, I want to be able to nurture that for as long as I can. Like, I look back and I'm like, what was he like at six weeks? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I look at photos of me, like, him in and sleeping in the, you know, in the carrier and the and I'm just like, oh my God, I miss those times. He's so big now. <laughs> I just want to hold on to that. For yes. Because there will be a time where he's like, ma, I'm out. Oh yeah. <laughs> big time, big time. And it will come before you know it. Like my son is very, he's very affectionate, very cuddly. But when it's, when he shows up to a place where he is excited about it, it is a quick hug, quick kiss, 
gives me the wave and jolts the other way. And I'm like, oh, I love you, but I don't want this hug to end yet. But uh, but anyway, Sarah, um, we're coming up on an hour here. And I just want to say I really do appreciate all of the valuable information. It was amazing to connect with you. Um, and we'll be sure to put all of your contact information in the show notes so people can reach out if they want to. And the final question is uh, one that we end the podcast with every time. And that is, Sarah, how would you like to be remembered? Oh my God, that is an exceptional question. Man, how do I want to be remembered? I want to be remembered for the impact that I have on the community through my son. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Yeah, if we're talking about legacies, be the hero of your own story. Mm -hmm. That's basically what I want. I know that's a bit of a a BHAG, but my son, when he looks back on me, that is what is going to make or break that legacy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You your own story. Love it. Love it. Love it. Well, thank you again for joining me. It was awesome to have you. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much. All right. Fantastic. And have a good day. You too. Bye. Ah, what a great conversation. And guys, honestly, if you take anything away, if you are somebody who has either had a baby or you're going to have a baby, my biggest piece of advice is you do not have to suffer in silence, right? This life is meant to be fulfilling. This life is meant to be awesome. You don't have to be dealing with these symptoms day in and day out and feeling as though you just have to deal with them. There are so many amazing options available for you when you start educating yourself about how awesome life can be. So, Do not suffer in silence. Either reach out to me or reach out to Sarah. Know that you are not alone on this journey. You are meant to move well, to live a life that is your best life. And yeah, we are here for you. So that's it for this week, guys. Know that I love you. I appreciate you. And we will catch you next time. Guys, I'm on a really big mission here and I want to transform 1 million lives, but I need your help. I can't do it alone. I want you to take this episode, share it with just one person. Maybe it's a friend or a family member or maybe a coworker, just one person who could really benefit from the information in this week's episode or perhaps a previous episode. That is how we create impact. That is how we get this movement going. That's how we take people from feeling tired and just not having a fulfilled life and we put them into fulfilling their full potential. So I challenge you guys to share this with just one person. It would mean the world to me. And as always, head on over to iTunes, subscribe so that you never miss an episode. They come out every single Thursday. That is my commitment to all of you guys so that you guys can continually grow, expand, and fulfill your full potential. Have a great week. We'll catch you next time. Lots of love. Ange.